All right, let's look at our scripture. Yeti is tonight. Thank you, Carolyn Weens. At Carolyn's house, Yeti is tonight. The show will go on, or the show is being created. It's uh, going to be a good time. All right. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, okay, our scripture can be found in John uh, 14, 1 through 14. Uh, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He is telling the disciples that he is going away uh, uh, to the cross, and this is obviously creating a tremendous amount of anxiety in them. And so this is what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Well, the question I have for you today is this. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? There is much fear in our society, isn't there? Some people call our age the age of anxiety. We experience things like terrorism and fear of economic collapse, government corruption, COVID, school shootings, the list goes on and on. And in one sense, when you look at the stats, we live it in the safest time in human history. And yet it doesn't feel that way, does it? There is the opportunity for great fear. Where does this fear come from? As I've thought about this, I thought that this great fear comes from this, an uncertainty of the future. What does the future hold for me? Uh, stats tell us that fear, uh, research tells us that fear is actually learned. That research shows that babies do not appear to show signs of fear until around age, uh, around 8 to 12 months of age. It's like they have an implicit understanding in the beginning that the parents got it covered. But as they get older, they recognize and realize that their parents are fallible. And so they start to experience this fear. The question behind our fear is this. Is there a God? Does he care about us? 
And is he guiding us for good or are we on our own? And the way that we respond to this question determines our level of fear. The disciples are being confronted with this question in this passage. Jesus is saying, I am going away and you will all fall away. Indeed, even one of you will deny me. And they're asking the question, what's our future? God, are you going to be there for us? Jesus responds to them and he responds to us. He says, let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid because I have a plan for you. You see, Jesus brings us to the Father. Jesus has a plan to bring us to the Father because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. This passage gives us three reasons why we need not fear. Number one, because Jesus will bring us to the Father. Number two, Jesus not only will bring us to the Father, but Jesus brings the Father to us. And finally, number three, Jesus continues to live in and through us. So we're going to look at these three answers to our fears. The first being Jesus will bring us to the Father. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus has already shared, I'm, I'm going away. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to depart. Your life is going to be turned upside down. And yet Jesus gives a command. Let not your hearts be troubled. And the reason that we are not to let our hearts be troubled is to trust in God. In other words, God has a plan for what is going on in your life, disciples. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus is saying, I speak the words of God and I do the acts of God. So you can trust me as much as you trust my heavenly father. Jesus goes on. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, my departure, Jesus is saying, is for your advantage. I'm going to take care of your future. I'm going to my father's house. He's speaking of heaven. And Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. We wonder here, is, is Jesus an architect? And uh, we've heard about this. Uh, some translations, the King James uh, says, in my father's house are many mansions. And so we've taken this text to wonder, what's my place going to be in heaven? Is it going to be a, a mansion? Is it going to be a rancher? Is it going to be a, we're not exactly sure. This word, uh, many rooms, actually only uh, rooms only appears one other place in the Bible. And it's in John 14, 23, where it says that uh, Jesus says, my father and I will come to him and make our home with him. Our dwelling place, if you will. So many rooms, what Jesus is actually saying is there's more than enough space in my father's house for every one of my disciples to join me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus is not an interior designer. He's not going to frame out a room for us. Rather, he's going to prepare a place for us. And what he means 
is I'm going to make a way for you to be there. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to make it possible that you would have a place in heaven. See, the truth of the matter is we have no right to be in heaven with our heavenly father, do we? We're sinners and justly deserving God's uh, displeasure and his punishment. And heaven is perfection and holiness. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to make you approved so that you can enter into heaven, so you can belong, so there can be a place for you. And how is Jesus going to do that? Jesus is going to pay for our sins on the cross. You see, it is the going itself. Jesus going to the cross and going to the end and the resurrection that is going to prepare the place for his disciples. Jesus, by going to the cross, that actual act is preparing the place. And Jesus goes on and says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross to die in your place so that a place may be prepared for you. And then I'm coming back after accomplishing this act. And I'm going to take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. See, we think that Jesus gives us righteousness so that we can go to heaven, right? It's like Jesus gives us a ticket, an admittance, if you will. And with this ticket of righteousness, we get to go to heaven. But this scripture is saying something different. Jesus is saying that Jesus is going to unite us to himself. He's going to take us to himself. He's coming to live in us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I am the ticket. Jesus is the ticket. Martin Luther tells a story to explain this of a great king who decides to marry a prostitute. The prostitute can't make herself the great king's wife by anything she does or her performance, but by his wedding vow, she becomes his. And he says to her, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And so he gives to her the status of royalty and all that is his. And she turns to him and says, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And so this poor sinner shares with King Jesus all her sin, all her death, and all her damnation. Therefore, the sinner can consider her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ who is mine, who has not sinned, all of his is mine and all of mine is his. See, Jesus is going to earn salvation for us, and then he comes back and he marries us. He unites us to himself, and all that he is becomes ours by virtue of our union with him. 
And so Jesus continues and says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus has told them the destination, it's heaven, and Jesus has told them that they know the way. But the disciples are not getting it still. See, when Jesus says, you know the way, the way is not a how, but a who. See, I can say to you that I know something, and there's two ways in which you can take it, right? I can say I know how to get to Lowe's, right? I understand. And I can also say that I know John. One is a how, and one is a who. You know the way, when Jesus is saying this, is saying you know the way. You actually know me. And by knowing the who, you know the how. Jesus spells it out clearly because they're not getting it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, Jesus is saying that he's not only the ticket, he is the plane. Right? If you get a ticket, the ticket gets you on the plane. But unless the plane takes off, you never go anywhere, do you? Jesus is the ticket, and Jesus is the plane. It's as if Jesus has one arm in heaven, stretched to heaven, in heaven, and one arm to earth. And by himself, through him, is the way to the Father. And notice the exclusivity with which Jesus speaks. There is no way to the Father but through me. No prophet, other prophet, no teacher, no leader can get you there. Only Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice here, Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God. And he is the life of God. What does that mean that Jesus is the truth of God and the life of God? First of all, he's the truth of God because he embodies the supreme revelation of the Father. Jesus himself narrates the Father. That's his job as the Son, as the image of the Father to explain and to express the Father to the universe, to the creation, to all of his own. John 1.18 puts it this way, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Through Jesus, the truth that Jesus gives us, we can know who God is. Otherwise, without Jesus, we are lost. But Jesus is not only the truth of God, he is the life of God. The scriptures say that Jesus is the life and the one who has life in himself. He's the resurrection and the life or the true God and eternal life. See, to get to the Father, 
We must spiritually come alive. Jesus said no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And he also says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to bring life to our dead souls, to bring us awake, if you will, so we can come and we can live in the presence of the Father. Jesus is the way because he is the truth of God and the life of God. I remember when it was our time when God was calling us to adopt. And God called us to adopt our daughter who was from Nicaragua. But there was one problem. She was there and we were here. And she was not ours yet by law. She had no right to come into this country and to be ours. And so we embarked on a year-long process to make her ours. First, we had to make her ours in the court of law in Nicaragua. So we hired an attorney. We spent ridiculous amounts of money. We went through a process where she finally became ours in name. And then we had to somehow get her here. And so that was a whole other process of getting a passport, a way for her to, a right for her to enter into this country to live with us. And when we finally had secured that, we flew down to Nicaragua and we got her a ticket. And on that ticket, it gave her the right to get on the plane to fly back with us in order to live in our house as our daughter. Now the question is, what made it possible for her to come into our lives as our daughter? Was it the court order? Was it the passport? Was it the ticket? Was it the plane? The answer is, it was none of those things and all of those things. The real answer was, it was us. We were the ones that made it possible for all of those things to happen in order for our daughter to go from there to here. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus has prepared a place for us through his death on the cross. He has purchased freedom for us. He has united himself to us. And so he says to us, let not your hearts be troubled about the future. I like what 1 Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. See, my friends, we have a living hope. Jesus Christ, who has united himself to us through the Holy Spirit. So you do not need to fear the future. You do not need to fear that I will be abandoned, that I will be forsaken. See, the reason that we don't have to be troubled is because Jesus has been troubled for us. Jesus has already gone through all of the worry. 
and all of the sacrifice and all of the pain and trouble. He's taken our trouble on his shoulders so that we need not be troubled. So that's point number one, that Jesus will bring us to the Father. But point number two is that Jesus also brings the Father to us. Look at verse 7. If you had known me, Jesus said, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Find that an interesting reaction. It's almost a, a knee-jerk reaction. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. There is a deep desire in the heart of each one of us to see our Heavenly Father. It's kind of like my kids when they would play soccer and they were young. They would do something and instinctively they would turn and they would look for me because they wanted to know that I was there and that I had seen what they had done. They wanted to have some sense that I was there and that I approved of them, that I was in their presence. That's what Philip is saying when he speaks to Jesus. But Philip doesn't get it. Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? There's a certain sadness in Jesus' uh, question, isn't there? Oh, why don't you have eyes to see? Why are you still so spiritually blind, Philip? You know, you can be close to Jesus and still not see the fullness of who he is. Jesus goes on, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, Philip's problem is, is his faith. How can a human being encompass and encase the richness and the fullness of the heavenly Father? And Jesus is saying, don't you realize that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What's he talking about? What Jesus is saying is that there is a complete unity between the Father and with Jesus. They are so close to one another that it can be said that they are in one another. We try to use this language as we describe human relationships, don't we? If you have a, a friend that you're very intimate with, what do you say? That we're close friends, right? We're so close to one another. We're trying to explain metaphorically this relationship. Or if a husband and wife are, are so close to one another, it's, it's like they're one with one another. That's what Jesus is saying here. That the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. That in a way that we can't understand, they actually mutually indwell each other. The theological term is called perichoresis, which means peri, which means around, and corin, which means 
to give way or to make room. And so it could be translated as rotation or going around. Some scholars picture this relationship between the father and the son as a a choreographed dance where they move as one precisely and fluidly, creating a meaningful work together. I like to think of it this way, that it's kind of like two people in love. You remember being in love? Gazing into one another's eyes and lost, as it were, as, you concentra- as they concentrate all of their energies and beings as they just gaze at each other? That's the kind of picture that Jesus is using here. That the father and son have eye-to-eye contact, face-to-face. No one knows the father like the son. And no one knows the son like the father. Jesus is saying that I am the one who speaks the father's words. If you look at the text, he's so in sync with the father that what he says echoes the father's heart. See, what Jesus says to us is what our heavenly father says to us. And Jesus continues on and says, but the father who dwells in me does his works. I not only speak the father's words, but I do the father's works. Jesus says in verse 11, believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. All of these signs and miracles that we've been seeing in John's gospel that Jesus has performed, what what are they? They're signs of what the father is like. In the feeding of the 5,000, we see the picture of the father who brings something out of nothing. In the healing of the blind beggar, we see the picture of our heavenly father who brings light out of darkness. And at the raising of Lazarus, we see our heavenly father who brings life out of death. So Jesus' purpose is not only to bring us to the Father, but to bring the Father to us. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, my whole business is to introduce you to the Father. He's saying when you come to know Jesus, you come to know the Father. It's as if he wants to take us by his hand and lead us and introduce us to his Father in heaven and say to his Father in heaven, Let me introduce John to you. Let me introduce Bill to you. Let me introduce Mary to you. Do you know that I once took a plane, private plane ride with Stan Smith? Surprised, are you? Some of you are wondering, who's Stan Smith? Isn't that a shoe? Stan Smith was a very famous uh, tennis professional. He was number one in the world 1971 and 72, he won Wimbledon, he won the U.S. Open, a very famous tennis professional. And I was a tennis player in college and quite enamored with people like Stan Smith. Well, Stan Smith came to Charlottesville. You're wondering, how is that possible? Well, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, he was older, his name was Ward Anderson, uh, brought Stan Smith, who uh, who was his friend, in order to do a fundraiser 
for the Covenant School, which is the Christian school in Charlottesville. And so Stan Smith played an exhibition charity uh, match, and uh, I was one of the linesmen. They called some of the, the players to be linesmen. And so after, that, uh, after he was done with the exhibition, Ward came over to me, and he said, how would you feel about hopping on a plane with me and Stan Smith and going to Philadelphia? See, part of the deal was Stan had an exhibition match in Philadelphia that night. So in order to do the fundraiser, there had to be a plane to take him from Charlottesville to Philadelphia. Now, Ward knew that I loved Stan Smith. And Ward loved me. And so Ward's greatest desire was, how do I bring these two together? And so he reached out to me and he said, come on, come with me. Let's go on this private plane with Stan Smith. And so I got a couple hours just to sit with this Wimbledon great and to talk tennis with him. See, we never have to wonder what our Heavenly Father thinks of us. Because Jesus has come to introduce us to the Father. And we need our Heavenly Father, right? Not just later, but now. Philip said, show us the Father and it is enough for us. He didn't say show us the Father someday, but now. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing by faith through the Holy Spirit until we see the Father face to face in heaven. See, just a couple verses from now, Jesus will say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. The Spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you. See, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, continues to dwell in us and continues to show us what the Father thinks of us and links us to the Father by faith. So we never need to wonder, we never need to fear that our Father is not with us, that he will not care for us. Because through Jesus, we see the Father. For Jesus brings the Father to us. And that brings me to my final point, why we need not fear. Jesus continues to live in us and through us. In verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus has been appealing to the disciples for faith, to trust in God, trust also in me. And now he focuses on fruitfulness. If you believe, you will do the works that I do. Which is mind-blowing, right? I mean, Jesus did amazing things. And yet it even goes further. You will do even greater works than I have done. Now, greater works can't mean more spectacular or more supernatural, can they? It's hard to imagine works that are more spectacular or supernatural than the raising of Lazarus from the dead, or the multiplication of bread, or the turning of water into wine. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that you will do the works I do. Because I am going to the Father. 
Jesus is enabling us, if you will, to do the works of God because he is the one who is empowering us to do so. By going to the Father, he is going to send his Holy Spirit to live in us. See, the contrast is not finally between Jesus' works and the disciples' works after Jesus is gone, but rather the works that Jesus performed in the flesh while he was on planet Earth and the works that he will continue to perform in us after his death and exaltation. That's why Jesus says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, the actions of the disciples of Jesus Christ, of us, is the product of our prayers offered in the name of Jesus Jesus responding through his Holy Spirit. It's what he says in verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's not us. It's Christ working in us. And so what does he mean by greater works? What he means is that Jesus has gone and he has defeated Satan at the cross and he has ushered in a new age. Redemption is one. And the kingdom of God is now triumphantly invading the world with the saving and transforming power of Jesus Christ. See, in a way, the signs and the works that Jesus performed when he was on the earth could not fully accomplish their true end because the spirit had not been given and eyes had not been opened to be able to understand. It's like now there is a greater clarity that people can see Jesus in a way that they even could not back then because he had not been glorified. What does all of this mean? What it means is that Jesus continues to minister to us through his Holy Spirit and through us to one another. I mean, sometimes I find myself saying, if Jesus were only here now, oh, he is through his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I need his power. It's here. I need his presence. It's here. I need him to minister to me. He continues to do so. And so, though Jesus resides in heaven through his Holy Spirit, he has not left us. He continues to minister to us. His power and his work continues to go out into the world. Jesus brings us to the Father because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus brings the Father to us because he is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus continues to be with them. So my brothers and sisters, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Believe in God. Believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life for all who believe in him and call upon his name.
Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, give us faith. We do want to see you face to face. But you have told us it was for our good that you went away. But you have not left us alone. Through your Holy Spirit, you continue to dwell in us and show us the love and the person of the Father. And you continue to minister to us. Lord, help us to look to you and to you alone and live lives free of fear, for we know the future. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Now we have the opportunity to continue our worship through our offering. We do not pass an offering plate, but rather we have left our offering plates in the foyer. If you wish to give an offering to Redeemer, you may do so after the service uh, on the way out. If you are new to Redeemer, don't feel compelled in any way to give. We're just glad that you're here with us today. Let me pray for the offering. God, we pray that you would bless and you would use this offering uh, for your glory, Lord, to strengthen your church and that the ministries of the good news of the gospel would continue. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.